to Risky Standard, an actual play podcast featuring a rowdy group of best friends playing tabletop role-playing games together. I'm your host and GM, Mitch Brewster. Uh, you can find me over on x.com at Magnesium B. Oh, uh, it, I, don't, I was like, what are you talking <laughs> about? I remember. Right? Is it X yet? I don't think, I think you still go to Twitter.com. Yeah, I, I type Twitter into my phone all the time looking for it. Uh, I hate it. I'm going to say Twitter. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at MagnesiumB. You can find the show on Twitter at Standard Risky. Assuming that that website still exists by the time you're listening to this. You've said that uh, so many times, Mitch. Well, I know, and I, every time I'm still surprised that it exists. <laughs> we say goodbye every episode just in case. Um, with me today, I've got Peter Loftus. Yeah, hi, I'm Pete. Uh, I'm also on X, I guess, reluctantly, uh, Chip Enjoyer. <laughs> we've also got Malcolm Hall. What's up? And we've uh, also got old Timothy Manns with us here today. Hi, my friends. Um, yep. Still over on the site, uh, Axe Hoarder, uh, on, on anything. If you just Google search Axe Hoarder, there's not a lot of people going by that except for me, so you'll find me. I've never actually Googled it, and Tim's not oh, wrong, shit. it is mostly him. Oh, uh, good. I was gonna be like, there's someone else, like, <laughs> taller and more handsome than me who also has been going by Axe Hoarder and... <laughs> There is a YouTube channel called The Vintage I just, Axe I'm, I'm Order. I'm digging through The Vintage yeah, Axe Order right now. Yeah, we're looking at it real quick. So if um, anyone knows how to get him kicked off his platform, <laughs> let me know. Um, but we're back today to continue our game of Beam Saber by Austin Ramsey. Uh, as always, you can find Beam Saber over on Austin's itch.io page. And so yeah, uh, we're, we're back. Uh, our last session here was a, a downtime session. Uh, it saw our squad coming back to the city of Coronatus. Uh, they arrived, they had a debriefing with their squad handler, Troubadour. Uh, and we also saw Dez reunite with his uh, long-lost sister. Uh, and our, our good boy Carta was detained by another member of the ring, an operative named Seneschal. Uh, and all of that ended with the, the squad getting the call to return to base from Troubadour. Uh, and so that is where we're going to pick back up today, jumping in with this mission briefing. Any any questions, any thoughts before we, we go back into it? Is Thea Desdemona tech, like an ally, or is she more of like a, you know, contact at this point? Uh, I would say more of a, a contact at this point, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, someone Des reached out to. Uh, we didn't really use like the. There are some like, kind of rules for declaring contacts, uh, which we didn't quite bring in this time. Okay. Um, but I would say that she is not. You know, if we if you were, if you were writing her down on your character sheet, I would not write her as an ally. I would write her as a contact still, right? But also, she's Desmond's sister, and so I think for the moment, at least, you know, there's there's a uh, familiarity there and a. And do our characters know that she? I don't think so, and, and that's a great question for for Desmond, right? Um, I was going to say, I didn't, okay, just making sure. I didn't think we did, but. Absolutely not. 
Yeah, has Desmond mentioned anything about what happened during, you know... Too secretive for his own good. Has Carta also, you know, we haven't had on camera yet the chance for Carta to tell anyone that he was, you know, detained and interrogated by another member of the ring. Um, I never will. <laughs> yeah, that, that's all still in play, I would say. Um, but I think, you know, as of the moment, if we didn't see it on screen, I, I don't think anyone knows about either of these things except for the people it happened to. So, yeah, let's set it up, you know. Uh, I think that this is, once again, you know, the squad arriving at the, the low tower, making your way through the scrapyard together. You know, like cinematic timing here. It's everyone getting to the scrapyard at the same time. Kind of... Uh, Collectively, everyone piling into the kind of hidden elevator, like uh, behind a scrap door that kind of trundles down to the the cavernous reaches of the low tower. And yeah, so I think uh, you know you you come down out and into this uh, this central chamber of the low tower, the briefing room that we've seen uh, a few times already here, with its kind of holographic emitter table dominating the center of the room. And as they have been several times before, uh, Troubadour is already there waiting for you, sitting at the, the head of this briefing table. But they are not sitting alone this time. Uh, there's a person sitting just to the right of Troubadour, also at the briefing table. This is like a, a younger woman wearing gray kind of robes, I would say, with like a hood pulled up. I think she's got kind of like a uh, like a utility apron on in front of this that is, uh, you know, like has like the tools and things kind of jutting out of it. Probably the feature that immediately catches your eye more than anything is that she's wearing these big, bulky, gray plastic, like a visor or like goggles. Um, you know, I'm kind of thinking about like the like the early Nintendo like VR boy, right? Virtual boy. Virtual boy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right? These, like, kind of big, yeah, these big chunky goggles, right, that are kind of, um, or, like, visor that's dominating the front of her face. Um, and there are cables running from this that go back and under the hood. And I think you maybe even see, like, right behind her ears, right, some of these cables are connecting directly into ports that are, like, implanted into the side of her skin. Like, this is a, this thing is kind of connected to her. And I think uh, sitting on the table uh, in front of these two is a kind of teal suitcase. I, I think the three of you would recognize this immediately. It is the data cache, the, the computer containing the data cache that you recovered from the freight yards that Harlow Shell Spade, this Grenfield defector, was trying to sell uh, back on your first mission. Uh, and as you two arrive, you know, Troubadour, I think, rises. Uh, the person behind, beside them rises as well. Uh, and Troubadour says, Black Star Constellation, please come in. I'd like for you to meet someone. You're still here? Do you hang out here when we're gone? <laughs> uh, you bring us any more of those books? Right, they don't respond. Uh, uh, they gesture at their side. Uh, this is Seldom Row. She is an attendant of the apparatus, and she is here to help us with our ongoing mission. And Troubadour kind of gestures to the, the data cache lying on the table uh, in front of them. Attendant. And I think... Like, I don't know, like, what what's the general vibe towards, do you treat them like clergy, or like, uh, are they strange and non-speaking, like, they have a reputation? Uh, that's a good, right, that's a good question. I think we should talk for a second here, maybe, um, we've mentioned the apparatus a few times, and it's like something we talked about kind of in our episode zero, but it hasn't really come up that directly for this squad, uh, 
during the last few missions. But the apparatus is this kind of like logistics engine, this kind of machine intelligence that is kind of like core infrastructure for the ring. It is the thing that kind of handles the large-scale logistics that make the ring possible, right? It is tied into almost every ring computer system, and it is the thing that looks at like a, a planet or an outpost that is like producing excess, uh, you know, food or grain or goods and is looking and also reading at where these goods are needed and is kind of coordinating like the transfer of all of these things. It is constantly monitoring, you know, where is labor needed? What kind of work is needed and who is available to do that work, right? And it kind of is the, the backbone of a lot of what makes the ring work. I think it's also kind of strange. It is this big machine intelligence. It doesn't talk, right? It doesn't talk to people. It doesn't have a personality uh, per se or any kind of like personhood in that way as we would think of it. Uh, but it does have these these attendants, uh, which is what Seldom Row is. These people who kind of maintain the apparatus, who connect it to other machines, who kind of uh, help its growth and spread uh, in new places. Uh, and so, yeah, you reference them as like kind of clergy. I think that's kind of like a... There's a little bit of weirdness here in that I think, yeah, the attendants are sometimes, if not religious, they're kind of spiritual about this machine that they take care of. And, you know, I think uh, that Seldom Row is wearing like a, a badge on these robes that has like a, a symbol of, uh, I think, like a like a plum blossom with like circuitry spiraling in the center. I like that. And uh, they do talk, right? She, I think, <laughs> you know, uh, she introduces herself and, you know, she says, Greetings, Black Star Constellation. Troubadour has told me much about you and you've brought us a very interesting puzzle. I'm only here to try and help you understand what's inside of it so that we might all further the cause of the ring. We are allies. I don't think I've ever met an attendant. I don't know if I've ever met a hero of the revolution, but it's an honor. Uh, and I think Seldom Row extends her hand towards you, Rhodes. Um, I guess I would take it. Uh, you know, like, a shake. Um, I'm Rhodes. This is Carta. That's Des. We thought you would have been able to crack this data cache by now. Yeah, it seems like nobody knows what's going on. Uh, and I think Troubadour steps in here and gestures for everyone to sit. Unfortunately... Our friend Harlow Shellspade was a, a more clever programmer than we first realized. The data in the cache uh, has been encrypted, uh, not just in the traditional means, but utilizing his own biometric data. Uh, they gesture to, to Seldom Row, who says, uh, Without his biometric data, there's no way of telling how long it will take us to try and piece together the information there. It's it's like looking at pieces of a puzzle. We can try and draw a conclusion, with it, but we can't see the whole. We can't know the real shape of the thing. Well, what have you shaped so far? And I think Troubadour would take over again and say, not much more than what we were able to learn from the, the discussions that you were able to record, Desmond. We can see there are extensive maps of what appears to be some kind of or a calcum lattice or, or network on Ember. There are extensive notes, but they are garbled. They're jumbled. They are useless to us at the moment. 
We're standing on what might be an incredible find, a, a pivotal turning point uh, in this war, in the meaning of what this war on Ember is, but it's nothing until we can actually read them. Is it like a, a, a cipher or is the data itself scrambled? The data itself, it's uh, clever in this way. Harlow has linked the, the pieces of data that are missing to his own biometric data, right? Without those, we can't put the picture together. The, the data is not actually there until the scan is completed. A clever failsafe to prevent any kind of double crossing on the behalf of his would-have-been new employers. I know where this is going, Think looking at Troubadour. Another black bag job for the ring. You want us to snatch Shell Spade? <laughs> uh, and they, they smile across, you know, a dozen flickering different mouths on this, this scatter mask. I would love for you to black bag Shell Spade. But we don't know where he is. His status and his location have been a mystery for us ever since the marked band. And I think Troubadour kind of flicks a glance at Desmond here, right? Since the marked band escaped with him during the firefight in the Meridian Freight Yards, he is uh, gone to us. However, a new lead has emerged. Our sources believe they might have discovered a Grenfield operative who has knowledge about Shell Spade's current whereabouts. Uh, at this point, Troubadour, I think, uh, would activate the... Uh, the briefing table, right? Uh, and get this kind of grainy hologram flickering to life. Uh, and it is showing a picture of a, a human man. I think like a dark hair, slicked back, uh, goatee, probably. Younger to like middle-aged. I think they would say, this is Sellers Montag. He's a security operations manager for Grenfield from a wealthy family of traders in the Lactorian Commonwealth. Almost certainly hired as much for his family's connections as any merit of his own. Uh, are we seeing like a little like bust of him in the hollow? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is uh, just like a flickering image of, of this guy's face, right? This sort of handsome stranger. In addition to his uh, status as a operations manager, Montag is also something of a gambler and frequently indulges his vices at an establishment called the Lost Crown Saloon here in Coronatus. During one of his recent excursions, he was overheard bragging about a recent promotion in duties and was heard to mention overseeing the handling of a corporate defector. It's not much to go on, but our own knowledge of Grenfield's internal structure recent events, and what digging we've been able to do corroborate that the assignment of Shell Spade to Montag's team is entirely likely. It's the best lead we have right now on finding Shell Spade's current location and hopefully obtaining his biometric data to unlock this data cache. But how? We're, we're extorting Sellers? Sellers isn't really a target for extortion. He's got deep reserves of familial wealth and a, a comfortable position at Grenfield. And in fact, his own status in Grenfield, the access to sensitive information that he, dis that he possesses, means that his home and his office are well protected. He travels between engagements with an impressive security detail. A retrieval would be difficult, at least under usual circumstances. Hmm. However, as I mentioned, he's an inveterate gambler, and so we return to the Lost Crown Saloon. Uh, and I think, you know, they would, uh, you know, right, cycle the PowerPoint here. We, we, we move from the bust of Sellers Montag to a, 
an image of this, uh, you know, several story tall, kind of like enormous sandstone building that has, I think, streamers and flags kind of like fluttering off the sides of its walls. And probably, I would say, you've all lived in Coronatus for various lengths of time, but like most of your lives for several of you and most of a person's lifetime for Rhodes. <laughs> uh, you would all probably already know the Lost Crown. It is located in the Shade District, which is kind of like the nightlife uh, and kind of like vice district of Coronatus. It is like this big, enormous, uh, you know, I've said saloon a few times here, but it is closer, I think, in, in spirit almost to something like a, like a Vegas casino, right? It is a, a saloon. It offers drinks. It, it is a vice den, uh, but it is also like host to, to games and gambling, right? You know, Troubadour would continue. The Lost Crown is operated by the criminal kingpin of Coronatus, someone named Rebus Actual alleged to be the representative of an off-world criminal syndicate. I think you'd kind of kind of maybe nudge Des or something. Is that a friend of yours? Ring any bells? Maybe. I don't know. I think I remember hearing about, you know, the big boss, the kingpin. But um, I don't know. I just I just never got that close. I always, I always thought it was just a, a, a rumor, a, a legend. I think, like, timeline-wise, the way I've been thinking about this... Rebus Actual probably would have been, like, coming into power in the city kind of at the same time that, like, things were getting serious with the Belfry Boys and probably didn't really ascend uh, until the time that Desmond was in prison. Okay, well, then uh, forget all that other <laughs> stuff I said. No, I mean, I think that, I think that like, lines up, right? Like, you would have heard, you would have oh, heard yeah, things yeah, yeah. about him, yeah. but, like, you would not have had, like, great information about him in the time that you were I imagine operating. if you end up as a kingpin, you've probably been calling yourself or working towards being a kingpin for, like, a while. The upper levels of the Lost Crown are a, a VIP zone, entrance admitted by invitation only. It's frequently used as a, a neutral meeting ground for behind-closed-door deals for the city's disparate political elements. Are kind of disparate political elements? Sometimes, yes, amongst others. But as a consequence of this, the Lost Crown is a weapons-free area, and one where protections like security details are not permitted. It is perhaps the only place we will be able to encounter Sellers Montag without a, a full suite of Grenfield security operatives. One of the specialties of the Lost Crown, and to our good fortune, a particular favorite of Sellers Montag, is the parlor game of Foray. And I think they would, uh, you know, once more, like, you know, the hum and rattle of the table as the images switch over to a kind of like uh, what looks for at a moment like a, like a battlefield uh, with, with armors standing on it. This is uh, 4A, a strategy game where players control holographic representations of armors and test them against each other in battle. Uh, and this is like another thing where, you know, I don't know if Troubadour would be explaining all of this because I think you all would know this game already, right? This is like a, a game that's particularly well-known across the Galactic Network and is especially popular on Ember right now. Uh, it is this kind of like cross between, uh, you know, like I, I'm like my first pull here is like hollow chess from Star Wars and something like like Battletech or, or Warhammer mm -hmm. 40k from our world, right? It is uh, these people moving uh, and controlling holographic images of armors and battling them against each other. And I think it is, you know, 
like pretty common, especially on Ember right now in the conflict, uh, for players to to play matches where they are, are reenacting like notable recent battles in the conflict, right? You know, there's a there's a chance that the the battles you guys have been a part of have been recreated or been played out by players of foray at the various parlors across uh, the basin. So players could like really do the ultimate sort of, you know, Monday quarterbacking, but with war, you'd be like, I would have done it differently. <laughs> wouldn't have gone down differently if, if I, I was, was If I was a Ferenc Crossing, <laughs> it wouldn't have gone down like that. <laughs> like genuinely, yes, that's exactly what happens, I think, right? Like, um... Uh, and I think this is also not even not even just in like the Commonwealth. I think that like in the ring, people probably play this game as well, right? I think this is uh, you know one of the more popular kind of sports uh, uh, across the the Galactic Network. And they they continue. We've been informed recently that Rebus Actual is hosting an exhibition match of foray between several of the most skilled contestants on Ember. The high stakes buy-in for all betters in the, the upper floors of the Lost Crown Casino. Sellers Montag is on the short list of VIPs who have been invited to attend in Rebus Actual's personal viewing box for this exhibition match. Hmm. Which means we know he's going to be there, we know when he's going to be there, and when he will be there without his security. This is our best opportunity to get access to him. Uh, and I think they look at Seldom Row, uh, and at this point... Seldom, uh, you know, like reaches under the table and draws out what looks like, uh, you know, kind of like a uh, like smartphone-sized kind of like hard plastic brick that is uh, wrapped in a bunch of these black cables that we would recognize as like the cabling of the apparatus, right? The kind of like sign that the the apparatus machine is a part of this. Uh, and I think as they lay this kind of like plastic brick onto the onto the table, the uh, cables like uncoil and unspool and kind of like uh, arch out and then back in, almost like the the legs of like a spider or a scorpion, right? And they've got different ports and connectors kind of stabbing out of the end of each of the cables. It's just like flailing around. Uh, no, I think that they like kind of like unfurl loosely and then come rigid and kind of like cradle over it. Like I said, I almost like a, like a spider on its back that has died with like its legs curled in. And I think Seldom Row here says, Every Grenfield executive carries with them a, a personal network device. It's a, a single machine that connects them, that allows them to message and connect with everyone else in the, the Grenfield network is also the access key to their various secure locations, databases, uh, and is also a repository for any important information that they need to carry. It never leaves that individual site. It is perhaps their most important possession. This machine, and she gestures to this, you know, this, this spider brick on the table in front of her, is capable of interfacing with one of their personal network devices and copying the data on it. And they kind of seed the floor to Troubadour again. Has it been done before? Uh, I think Seldom Row, you know, uh, fixes her gaze on you as much as she can with this, like, you know, brick uh, kind of headset that, like, uh, completely blocks sure, her eyes. Like, it feels she... like you're looking through another person. It has been gifted to me by the apparatus. It will work. Uh, and then Troub Troubadour uh, says, this is a different kind of mission than our last few. 
If everything goes the way that it should, then there shouldn't be a shot fired or an eyebrow raised. I would like for you, Black Star Constellation, to find Sellers Montag inside the Lost Crown Saloon. I would like you to retrieve his personal network device, copy it with this machine, and then return it to him. Ideally, without his notice. We're not going to get caught up in any biometric bullshit this time? We're familiar with the data structure of these personal network devices. They are encrypted, but not in a way that we are unable to decipher. Nothing, hopefully, nothing uh, unusual with this one. How are we getting in? Uh, Well, Rhodes, I think that is a question for the squad to answer. Well, you said that's a high-stakes buy-in. We don't have any money. I'm sure you'll find a way. I assembled this group with the understanding that you had certain talents for getting into places that you don't belong. I mean, but you said you wanted it quiet. You don't have to look at me every time you say, without a shot, okay? (laughs) (laughs) If you feel that this kind of mission is unsuited to the work that you're capable of, Black Stars... We can have a discussion about what it is you think you're here to do and whether or not you're suitable for continued service under this banner. But I think that this is entirely within your capabilities. Yeah, I think Rose is like rolling rolling his eyes. Well, I don't think we've uh, fallen short of expectation thus far. I don't think this would be anything different. So just to go over it really quickly, kind of in like a slightly drier terms, right? Your mission objective here is to acquire, copy, and ideally return the personal network device that Sellers Montag possesses, uh, utilizing this apparatus hacking machine. And you have a secondary objective here, which is to complete that primary objective without the target becoming aware of the operation. Uh, you know, and I think that maybe the way they would, they would state this, right, you know, is um, if we are able to do this without Montag becoming aware that the data has been seized... We're much more likely to find Harlow Shellspade in a less guarded, more vulnerable position. If they know that we're searching for him, that we've found out where he's in, where he is, it's likely that they will move him uh, or get rid of him altogether. And then we're left with what we have now, an incomplete picture. Nothing. You'll be in a civilian area for this mission. As such, your rules of engagement... No explosive or area-of-effect chemical weapons. No unwarranted escalation of force. If they're shooting at you, feel free to shoot back. But, and this time Troubadour does look at you, Carta, we don't need an armor's rifle for a handful of armed guards. No, just my rifle. (laughs) No unwarranted escalation of force. That's the directive. And they put their hands together. And this is kind of, you know, the moment, I think, you know, in the briefing, if you have question, more questions, we can answer those. But that is that is the mission, right? Uh, uh, just go over again. Sellers Montag, this, this Grenfield executive, is going to be attending a kind of VIP exhibition match at the Lost Crown Saloon, uh, where some people are going to be playing this strategy game, Foray. And you got to get in there. You got to get access to his personal network device, copy it using this, this apparatus spider, and then uh, get it back on him without him noticing. Do, and so to clarify, Sellers himself, not a player of Foray. 
He's a spectator. Spectator, a better, but he is not playing. He has been invited, in fact, to uh, view this exhibition match uh, in Rebus Actual's personal viewing box, right? He's uh, on the short list of VIPs. We're going to kind of like be right there next to the kingpin getting to watch and bet on the match. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is kind of how we, we found out about this, right? Is that uh, we intercepted this invitation. So this is how, this is how we know where Sellers is going to be and when. He might go to the casino another time, but we know he's going to be there this day, and it's soon. I don't have a hard date here. This is like in a week, right? Let's say. Yeah, now we just need an invitation. That's that's the only thing we need now. Perhaps we could bribe someone. We are now kind of entering what I would I think of as like the legwork phase, right? Um, so if you guys want to gather information, if you guys want to like brainstorm what your plan is, what we are trying to build towards is eventually coming up with your kind of like basic plan about how you want to do do this thing so that we can then move towards an engagement role that will set us up for jumping right into the action. If you have questions for, for Troubadour or for Seldom Row here, you know, these two people are here to like answer those questions. Uh, but we're also, you know, time in the same way that time is kind of fluid in our, our downtime sessions. I think we can kind of jump in and out here. If this, you know, if this involves leaving this place, if it involves like talking to other people, those are on the table. Um, you know, you still have a few supply points as well. Uh, if that means that you want to utilize downtime actions like uh, acquiring an asset or crafting an object or something like that, those are also like, uh, you know, ways that you could prepare yourself or get yourself kind of open up fictional avenues for completing this mission. But I think the, the ball is kind of in your court in that way. That's kind of the, the end of my, my briefing spiel. And the Lost Crown is open to the public or to enter the doors, you need a invitation. Like, is there a, you know, the first floor is like people can come and go? Without doing more of like a, a role, I'd say just like, like base level stuff that you know. Yeah, the Lost Crown is this like big vice den, basically, right? That is like, I think like covers like most of a city block. Mm-hmm. It used to be a, an old Chiropteran armory during like the days of the, the old Chiropteran empire that has been converted into this, into the saloon and casino. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the lower levels are, are like the, yeah, the, the first level is open to the public. It is just like this big kind of vice den for, for anyone to attend. Uh, the upper levels, however, are, are VIP access. They are invitation only. Uh, my, I would say, like, uh, you know, if we're talking about, like, fictional inspirations here, uh, the thing that's actually been in my mind all week when I've been planning this is <laughs> is the Iceberg Lounge oh, yeah. from Batman, which is, like, the Penguin's Lair. <laughs> yeah, the pull in my head is, like, the stone cities in Petra, you know, where it's, like, the these big columned, like, entrances on the first floor, but, like, soaring, you know, higher in, in this, like, you know, Chiropteran ruin. But I, the Iceberg oh. Lounge I also really like. Um just in terms of it's like its social structure, right? It's like uh, these yeah. upper levels, these VIP levels are a place I think where you see like Commonwealth, like corporate exec- corporate executives rubbing shoulders with like uh, criminal overlords. Uh, and in the booth next to them, there's like a Coronatus council person, right? This is kind of like a, a place where all of these different elements come together to, to make deals, to pursue their own vices and to kind of like interact with each other. Mm-hmm. Okay. You said a council person can get in there? And they do spend time in there? 
Some do. Some perhaps do they could. Perhaps they could get in just if they wanted to, based on uh, their status. I, I think you would know. I, I think Troubadour would know this enough to tell you. There is a. What is it? It's a coin. There's an invitational coin that is given out. Uh, and this is the thing that people present at the door to gain admission. Uh, and it is not uncommon for, for council people to be kind of given these um, to tempt them to, to attend. But that is the, the kind of like the, the invitation that you have to present to be allowed up. Um, whether or not someone could ask for one and receive one, that's a different question, right? Um, but I think that is the, the mechanism of admittance to the upper levels. Des is just imagining himself buying a wig. <laughs> Doing a little, uh, Brunhilde. Bugs Bunny. Oh my god. Bugs Bunny I Brunhilde. Literally have, I literally have subterfuge supplies. That is, that is something yeah. I could do. Um, of course, Desmond, and I think Troubadour looks at you, it would require that you know a council person to, to get you such an invite. Yeah, I know. I, I, I don't know any council people at all, so... Of course not. Yeah, of course not. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, the the floor is open for you guys in terms of, like, gathering information here, asking questions. But, yeah, so if you have questions for Troubadour, I'm here for that. But also we can just, you know, answer questions generally. And also this is, like, you know, the time where you guys can case the joint or hit up your other contacts, you know, kind of reach out to, like, whoever you need to to figure out this is the the planning montage in the heist movie, right? Yeah. Before we get to the, the casino. What do we know about the people who are playing? Do we do we know Mount's names? Exactly right. My question as well. If you're just asking Troubadour, um, it's probably not private who the competitors are. I think Troubadour can straight up tell you that those details... If you want to know anything more, that will require the role. Um, so I think uh, Troubadour would, you know, would know, uh, you know, this is a Troubadour pulling up, you know, like we're flicking through more stuff on the hollow table, right? Um, on the on the the battle box. Uh, that's not what it's called. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever this table is yeah. called. <laughs> the battle bar. Oh. Uh, so this event, this this exhibition match is being called the, uh, the Diadem Royale. We don't know everyone else who is on the VIP list. We don't know who else is going to be in the box with Rebus Actual. But the contestants are fairly well publicized at this point. There are five of them. These are all kind of, if not famous 4A players, they've like earned their, their they're either famous or they've earned their like way through other matches into this match. There is Perel Three Tide. Uh, and I think we get an image here of uh, this this woman. She's an alien species we haven't seen before. She's a, a gratch. Uh, she's like red skin, long skinny neck, four eyes, uh, and also four arms. Uh, and she's a full-time 4A player, uh, specializes in high-speed Blitzkrieg strategies. Click, flicker, next player. Yorn Fullshrift. Uh, this is a, a Lectorian who is heavily cybernetically augmented, known for deploying drones and turrets for multi-pronged attacks. Click Palace again, human. This is a, a Concordat layperson. This is uh, a, a player from the Concordat who has entered into this. Specializes in, in close combat. One more, right? Cormac Kalis, Chiropteran, aerial combat specialist. Last one, 
Sunder Fairside is a Luctorian woman. She's a marksman, a member of the Commonwealth military unit known as the Golden Bayonets. Some people say she's the best sniper in all of Ember. Yeah, some people have said that. Not everyone. <laughs> just for the record, I'm just saying not everyone says that. Uh, but the Diadem Royale is a, a battle royale, right? It is, it is uh, all five fighting against each other. The, the last surviving player in the match is the, the winner of the, the whole pot. But the, the true, the true, I mean, surviving, they're playing a, a holographic table game, right? But, uh, you know, the real draw here for, for Rebus Actual um, and for our, our target is the betting. This is like a high stakes buy-in, the best of the best playing against each other, and Sellers Montag is coming here to, to, to bet a large sum of money. And Rebus Actual is throwing this thing to make an even larger sum of money. Mm-hmm. He's throwing it. Presumably. Oh, oh I, I meant throwing it like as hosting the event. Whether or not the event is rigged, that's a question mark Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> um, I imagine that's probably part of it. So I guess to Troubadour, whoever here is, we're on the hollow table. I think Rhodes maybe like steps up and as there's these like profiles of these different players, I think, can we pull up like a, uh, I'm like pulling up like a player log, right? Like essentially uh, on the table here is like, some recent matches maybe you can pick two palace and yorn are squaring off on like a recent match that's recording here when you say you know the matches they're betting on they're they're always battle royale like one last mech standing is it is it uh like dueling or is it just like a, a whole open battlefield here where like what i'm really asking are are these like small armies or are these like individuals crossing these are individuals crossing. In 4A, I think, you know, this is like kind of a, a general knowledge thing, right? I think in 4A, you typically are controlling a single unit. I think that you are controlling it probably with like a control panel. And I think like at higher levels, uh, there is like more of an effort made to recreate the, the sensation of piloting. I think that like in a match like this, the, the pilots will probably have a kind of... Um, VR rig, like a like a helmet or something they are wearing that is going to give them like the first person perspective of the match they are playing in. Okay. Uh, and I think normally when you play, like a screen is up in front of you that is like shielding the map from you, and you are like looking still through the eyes of your machine. Yeah, I was thinking like what this actually looks like if you're in a helmet or a visor or whatever. But yeah, yeah, there's, yeah. There's usually yeah, like a visor. Yeah, I think yeah, probably they sell like you know little visors that just give like an augmented reality display that gives it to you. But yeah, it is kind of like a, a VR game in a little bit in that way. I'm still imagining them like coming out in, if this is like happening, I'm like a, probably a pretty large hollow table. There's like those like pilot simulators where it's almost like on a crane arm and it's like twisting and moving and stuff where there's like, you know. That's 1000% what I'm imagining for cool. this, right? Is, yeah, this is like, you know, uh, those like it's like those guys who do like F one like racing, mm -hmm. but they do it in their in their like you know homemade battle station rig. That's like what it, I think this is like. Yeah, like a G force simulator and all that. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's not like a battle box where there's an actual machine. No, miniature... I, this is like ho all holographic. This is like oh, okay. these are generated. I thought about that, and then I was, I was like, this would be really hard and wouldn't make a lot of sense because you'd be destroying them every time. So I think it is like you would need a much bigger space too. I mean, just in general. Yes. Um, I think, you know, like, if you're, like, in, like, a, like a ring, like, community center playing for it, it's probably on something, like, the size of a pool table, and you probably just have a pair of glasses that you put on, mm -hmm. 
But then, yeah, like, uh, you know, when you are playing in the Diadem Royale at the Lost Crown Saloon, you're in, like, the full, like, you know, the closest thing you can get to approximating actually piloting a mech without any of the uh, danger or reality of being in a war machine. So, I don't think I have any other questions for... Oh, I do. Troubadour, tell me we have someone on the inside here. We can't be the only ring operatives attached to the Lost Crown. Hmm. Oh, that's an interesting question. Sympathizers. You know, I think I think what Troubadour says right is like you know there are the rings networks are spread across Coronatus and across the basin, but it's not a light thing to ask another operative to risk their position. Which is GM speak for saying that if you want to like access to an operative on the inside, it might require either a roll or some kind of acquiring an asset or something like that, depending on what you're trying to get at. Okay, that I understand. Exiting like the table with Troubadour here, talking general strategy among the three of us. Did any any of you have like a really clear point of contact? I have like a loose uh, idea for how this might work. Uh, I mean, I don't know. My the strategy I was thinking of was trying to get one of these players sick, so that they start having issues halfway through the game boom medical staff has to get brought get brought in that well first and foremost we need to figure out how to get in and then secondly i the thing that comes to mind for me is like if there's a competitive mech fighting Rhodes wants to throw in here like in a you know like to be a contestant right get someone subbed in dark horse candidate like hedge the bet like you know something then it's like up to the two of you to or the three of us to convince whoever to just or i I guess that would be you know sellers put your money on this guy like oh you're really serious like once you put that you know the pnd up the personal network device like you know cards really on the table here but the other piece is that i don't think that roads can like walk in as roads uh like i i gotta have like a disguise because i'm on all these Printouts or whatever, like posters, or people like recognize me, right? I would say just like, uh, sorry, it's like the angel on the shoulder. The flip side to that, one of the most famous folk heroes of the the ring, right? The the hero of the Battle of Farron's Bluff is a pretty good draw if you're a promoter for your mech fight. That's actually Ooh. true. Yeah, we okay. Listen, we we find one of these players, we slip a lot of diarrhea powder in their drink, gives them horrible horrible stomach pain, and then Rhodes steps in. Last minute. <laughs> yep. And what are we his? Are we his support team? Like the pit crew? Probably. They have support teams. Like, you know. I mean, do these players have pit crews where it's like during mid mid game? Like I'm my fucking my uptake or whatever. Like my feed's not firing as quick as I need. I need you to. My original thought was like the, you know, Robin Hood archery contest where I kind of come in on stilt legs and like a big beak and um, <laughs> like, who like, oh boy, but you know, come in as a yokel. I was thinking we could just put a mustache on you. I honestly think that uh, I might just offer up myself as a contestant. Um, this is a weapons free zone, right? So like technically it's neutral ground. No one here is going to like pin me. But that's kind of two steps ahead. So, like, maybe that's one way. You guys could be the pit crew that, I, like, this is, like, my support team. I mean, that 
Yeah, I mean, that sounds like kind of like a, a something of a plan to me, right? So how would we do that? get an audience with Rebus Actuals? Kind of the thought in my head is... Yeah. Well, maybe we don't know this. Could we could... That could be some research. Is there a opening pre-game ceremony or a, like a meet the players, all the high rollers come in and, you know, they have... There's definitely a cocktail mixer. Yeah, Yeah. mixer beforehand. I'm also, flair for the dramatic, I think it would be funny to go in in disguise at this like cocktail thing, you know, and I'm sure people are talking about, you know, recent ring stuff, heightening tension. And then, you know, drop the mask or whatever. And it's like, actually, <laughs> you show some of these Concordat and Commonwealth pilots what it's really like. I just imagine you walk in being like, yeah, how about this Rhodes Rampart? They're like, I don't know who you're talking about. Who? Yeah. It's like, well, it's funny because he's here before you. Uh, yeah, I heard yeah, he's actually st- really still, tall. That's Still cool. don't know. Yeah. Um, uh that's one option. Right. I mean, that gets us into the game and playing the game, but like... So I would just say, before we get, like... I just want to kind of cut cut us off here a little bit. Because what we're actually just trying to do is get the engagement role, which just tells us how you start the approach. We don't need to have every step of the plan ahead, right? So, like, Rhodes getting an invitation to compete in the match... Like, that's a good engagement role. And then what you do after that, like, we don't need to plan that right yeah. now. That's like, okay, we'll, fun we'll figure police. it out when we do We're it. just jamming on some fun ideas over <laughs> yeah. here. No, I mean, I mean, it's fun to jam. We're but just grooving over you know, here, bud. The, the game would rather have yeah. us roll that engagement role. And then those questions of, like, do we sneak in alongside him as the pit crew? Or do we go to the mixer before? Like, all of those things are kind of, like... No, let's plan the questions really I want to answer in the mission. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's do a really complicated multi-step plan, but not the engagement. Uh, <laughs> I think, for me anyway, as far as engagement roles concerned, and then we can roll the dice to get us there, it's either social or stealth. Ste- social being... We either leverage the Desdemona or just go to Rebus straight up, or maybe both, to get in there like as invited guests, or we're sneaking our way in. I think a social plan makes more sense here. Social, yeah. yeah. I mean, social is when the squad negotiates with, bargains with, or persuades the target. The detail is the social connection, and so to me, I think the social connection, the question of like the social connection, I guess, is like. <laughs> Just as a reminder, none of us have communication none, skills. Absolutely none of us do. That is correct. Oh, and I love it. I love, that's why I love you guys. I love this team. I love everything about what you do. Um, so I guess I guess the detail here, you know, the social connection would maybe be like, how how do you get that invite or that connection to Rebus Actual to like put Rhodes' name in? Because I would say, uh, I think the thing that you suggested of like, hey, here I am, I'm famous, and I want to be in this match... That's a moneymaker. I think Rebus Actual would probably jump at that. Mm-hmm. So the social connection, I think there is like, how do you make that connection? What's the, is there a person that connects you with, with them? Or is there, you know, are you reaching out to him directly? Is that it, right? Is this like, um, you, you have, do you send a message to Rebus Actual? Or are you reaching out to like a fixer that you know, or someone else? You know, what's the, how does that work out? I guess is the, maybe the detail. That's that's where I'm kind of on to. I, I like the social engagement. Um, I think we need a contact, and 
I personally don't think I know anyone connected in Coronatus, like whether that's Underworld or Overworld. Um, I would say just looking at our sheet, at the very beginning of the game, we did have to select a couple of squads that you had positive or negative relationships with. And one of those that you chose to have a, a plus one, a positive relationship with, was this guy, Books Serac, who is a fixer in Coronatus. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. No. Yeah, uh, let, me, let me read his description. We've not talked about him because it's not come up, but uh, maybe this is like a good time for it to come up. I also have to remind myself who this man is. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so he we said that he was the one who kind of connected you with the scrapyard that that you uh, used to cover up the low tower. And what we what, what I've written about Book Serac here is that he's been a fixture of the Coronatus underworld for decades, a fixer and a fence with an eye for opportunity and an instinct for trouble. There's hardly a deal that happens within the walls of Coronatus without books knowing about it. So this guy has presumably dealt with the Black Star constellation at some point before. He is the one who connected you with this scrapyard that is willing to completely look the other way for your comings and goings. So that could maybe be a contact if you guys wanted to like get him to get you the invite. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's definitely an intro. He's unaffiliated, not a part of any faction. He's a, he is an independent. He's one of the independent squads. Uh, he's a tier one squad by himself. Okay. First thing, I think, uh, if it's cool to just start doing some gather information stuff. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Do whatever you I want to see, like, the public floor of the Lost Crown. I think Rhodes probably, like, I don't know, next day or something heads, like, out into the Shade District. And I think what I'm, like, trying to do here is, like, this is probably, I don't know, like an average night. I want Mm -hmm. to... Like, get a sense of what the walk-ins are like. Uh, or, you know, out of these, uh, you know, like, foray players, is it, like, something, you know, you got to climb through, like, a ladder to be able to get to these, like, big deal games? Or can you just, like, kind of walk in and declare yourself, like, an open contestant? Um, all right. So that sounds like you're gathering information. What you're describing kind of sounds to me like survey. Um, yeah. I would do... When you observe your surroundings and predict outcomes? Yeah, the other thought I had was, like, um, I'm guessing that if it's, like, any other kind of red light district, you can sort of guess where people are going, right, uh, based on how they're dressed mm-hmm. or whatever. And I'm I'm imagining the clientele at the Lost Crown being, like, a mix of, you know, high highbrow, lowbrow. Um, yeah. You probably have, like, you know, the spectator class coming. And I think you, they probably look, to me, in my head anyway like lecturian you know aristocracy right like like dressed yeah. up for the night and so my other thought here is like a maybe a hunt role like tracking some of these probable like upper class guests who are heading to the lost crown and kind of like watching how they make their way through or make their way through the floor to the upper levels yeah uh, that, that sounds like a yeah i'd say gather information with that that works for me so i've got one i um, mean gather information is always like a uh just a reminder, like a fortune roll, it doesn't... You can't fail here, it's just how much information you're going to get based on the roll. Rolling 1d6. That is a 1. So I'll give you a little bit here. That's A 1 is like limited information. You're not getting a ton out of this. Um, but basically, you know, I think, yeah, you're able to follow, you know... You walk the floors, you kind of see what's going on. There are 4A tables on the ground floor, right? 
There are some smaller ones that are kind of like 1v1 tables. And at those tables, I think the thing you're seeing more is like somebody sitting in a chair. And like I said, I think they have like, yeah, like a pair of glasses that they put on that then kind of like the lenses like fog over. And the table comes to life. Uh, and, you know, people are, people will stand around and watch, but these tables are kind of like a little bit less, um, you know, like simpler scenarios, uh, a little less exciting. And the people playing at these is like, you know, like working class people up to like, you know, like, like middle, upper class. Then there are bigger tables, event tables that these are, you know, uh, I think some of these you see are like not actually tables, they're set into the ground. Uh, and there is a little bit more of like a chair that they, you are like really fully kind of like reclining into and there's like a board in front of you. And these can uh, hold up to like four players say, right? And I think these, yeah, like, um, you know, the terrain I think is also like uh, holographically generated. And so you're seeing different kinds of like battles playing out. And there you get crowds coming around to watch some of these as they're happening. And there is like a kind of like a bookies table nearby where people can place bets on the players. And I think there are some players who are coming in who are like off the street playing at these big tables. There are other people who are like there the whole night that are like house players, right? And there's like an element here of like trying to beat the house mm -hmm. when you play. Uh, but I think you catch sight, you know, of like... The people who are dressed really nicely, uh, one of two things happens, right? Uh, I haven't given you like a great description of here, you know, because we're still just kind of like loose, but like I think, you know, the, the, open, the first floor of the Lost Crown is like this big open area. I think the center of it is dominated by like a central stage uh, where like there's usually a band mm -hmm. playing of some sort. I think there is tonight, right? I imagine, you know, they're playing some, you know, like a strange sci-fi synths or something. I've kind of got this image in my head that there's like a keyboard that's like four times the size of anything like a, a human-sized person could use. Maybe a robot, maybe like a small mech that is playing the keyboard yeah. up there that people, like, you Bunch know. Yeah, and like, you know, maybe someone, you're like kind of like waiting to see if someone gets in or out of it. And there are, I think, like bars along the sides, right? And there's like, you know, people walking around with drinks with these kind of like drug bowls that are emitting vapors. I think there are private rooms and areas along the back. I think there's like a theater, like at the back here also, right? Like there are shows that happen at the very back, like closed off. But there's kind of a hustle and bustle. And then there, I think there is, on the far end of the room, there's like a wall and a section of the wall that is like a bank of elevators with, I think, I'm, I'm imagining kind of like very Baroque, like a gilded decoration, right? You know, um, real kind of like, yeah, like gilded age aesthetic for a lot of this is where my mind goes for the interior. There's this bank of elevators and kind of like a roped off area with, I think, you know, I imagine guys in like vests and shirt sleeves with like the little like shirt ties, right? Like standing there, these like security guards. And the people who are dressed nicely, they make a beeline for that bank of elevators. Okay. Right? And when they get to those guards, these people are producing, uh, I imagine like a almost a palm-sized golden coin that they like flash. And they're let through and they go up. And that is where like the real action is that is the the lily pad lounge the vip section right the upper floors are for uh the the real players and the real the real money and i think the the nicest people like the real money never set foot in the first floor yeah i think on the other side of the building on the back side there's a set of stairs and like at the base of those stairs there are guards similar to the ones on the inside 
And I think we see, you know, hover vehicles, like these nice luxury hover vehicles, not unlike the one we saw Miranda Vector uh, being driven around in in the first mission. Those pull up, those people get out, they walk up those stairs, and they presumably go to like elevator banks inside, and they are let through that way. And they never even see the first floor of the Lost Crown, uh, which tells you there is a back entrance and there is an interior entrance that both lead up. But they are, like I said, to get to the lily pad lounge, to get to like the VIP area, you gotta have an invite. Okay. And I think like while I'm here, obviously, uh, I think like I'm kind of peeking over shoulders, you know, I think Rhodes probably hangs out here for a couple of hours, like maybe has a drink or two. I want to see how people are playing, right? Like, or like what they're saying about these, I'm trying to find one like, you know, out of self-interest, like how they're playing, uh, or if they're playing like, you know, the newsworthy stuff. And if they're talking about Farron's crossing, Sorry, Farron's Bluff. Farron's Bluff. Farron's Bluff. There's absolutely one of the bigger tables is a recreation of the Battle of Yeah, Farron's I want to see like what sure. they're talking about. Like, oh, like, you know, these, like, are they, are they are they calling us terrorists? Are they calling us, you know, was it truly impressive? Like, I don't know. I'm like trying to like listen in. I don't know if I need to roll for that. Are you just trying to get like a sense of like what the public perception of the ring is in this area? Kind of. And I'm also like thinking of being like, oh, hey, can I try that? You know, uh. Uh, I mean, what are you trying to get after? Like, are you, like, uh, you know. I just want to like listen in. I think what what they're talking about when they're playing through. Yeah, I mean, I I think I don't think that that has to be a role. I think it's a mix, right? Because this place is kind of a melting pot. You know, I think there's probably a, a generally kind of like an anti concordat sentiment that runs through here. You see a lot of people who are clearly happy about the Commonwealth being on Ember, who who have made their livings working for people related to the Commonwealth. You're not seeing that many people wearing garb that indicates that they are like affiliated with with the Concordat, with the Myriad Way, with any of that. So I think, you know, the, the general vibe is a little bit of like a minority of people who are kind of like expressively in favor of like, like, yeah, those guys really showed them what for. And I, like, I'm more of a general attitude that's like, you know, happy that the Concordat got shown up. And, you know, if it happened to be the ring that did it, that's just fine, too. There's just as many people who I think are, don't even care, who are just, like, excited to play a new scenario that's been programmed into the table. Yeah, and I think I, just to, like, wrap up my little sequence in The Lost Crown, I think Rhodes is going to try and, like, get in one of these, like, open tables, you know, like, on a bet here. Maybe maybe playing Ferris Crossing or something else. Sorry, Ferrance Bluff. I don't know why I keep calling it Ferrance Crossing. And I, what I'm trying to do here is just, like, get him talking. Like, there's some rumor. Oh, there was some guy here on Tuesday who, like, smoked a table. You know, like, um, he came and he left, you know? Like, uh, nobody knew who he was, but really good at it. Yes, okay. This is trying to set up for the, the job? Sure. Is that, like, what you're trying to do? Yeah. Maybe catch the attention of some pit boss kind of thing. Um, I mean, I would say here, if you want to do this, this could be a fortune roll. And if you succeed on it... I will give you an extra dice in the engagement roll if the if we're sticking to this engagement plan of you. Sure. Uh, but I will say, actually, this is, okay, actually, hold on. Roll it back a little bit. All right, if the engagement roll is still kind of getting Rhodes a seat at the table as a player, if you want to seed that by doing this, mm-hmm. by, by playing at the tables earlier in the week, we can make that roll. You can tell me what action you're rolling. But on a failed roll, there will be consequences. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> they're just gonna show up later. <laughs> so on a success on a success here, I will give you an extra dice on the engagement roll. But on a failure or a partial success, I'm putting one in the bank for next 
for yeah. when we are in the mission. And that's 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 dealer's choice. I have a question. Like, if we were playing Foray as a game within our game, are we using vehicle actions or would these still be pilot actions? I think vehicle okay. actions, if you're, you're, because you're, it's the closest analog is piloting a mech for sure. Maybe we just fast forward, like, as this is a single roll with. Yeah, this roll will just cover the whole match. I'm yeah. not going to make you roll. Yeah, yeah. This is this match is. Does that, does that qualify as struggle or more like finesse? Uh, this is this is a mech action. It's a vehicle oh, action. A, so oh, okay, it is a vehicle action. It's close enough to piloting that I think this is okay. Uh, so what's the road's strategy? What 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 are you rolling? Here? I think that um, I'm probably going to pull on maneuver. I think like with skill and agility here, kind of showing off the same pilot skills like i think the foray like preloaded mech obviously doesn't like match the redshifts like specs but even a yeah. you know service unit uh i think roads can flex on and so yeah i'm gonna roll maneuver i'm gonna do it yeah this is kind of like this is like a fortune roll that will have consequence this is a new kind of roll we just yeah and i think roads like probably for... picks out a table that's like one-on-one probably some one of these like wannabe aristocrat lectorian some guy with like a rough collar you know um sure and plan three. I'm going to roll here on maneuver. It's a six. That's a six. I imagine the way that this looks right is like, um, obviously it's not one for one. There's nothing that match. you know, like the sensation, you know, it's the difference between like playing Grand Theft Auto and driving a real car, mm-hmm. right? But there is like something that transfers and there's like a level of tactical skill and just ability that Rhodes has that like the people you're playing against don't. And I think you just like smoke the first person that you play against. And maybe this is like a scene where like, you know, we keep seeing like player after player coming in front of Rhodes. Yeah, sure. It's not even taking the visor off. And by the by the end of this, like, you know, you've got like a, a line of people like who want to play against you. And there's a crowd who's watching because you're doing stuff on the table that is like, you know, higher level than anything anyone who's just coming to play at like the cheap tables can hope to manage. And so, yeah, I'm going to, if, if this is the, the, the engagement role, you're going to take an extra dice because, you know, even if they don't recognize who you are, the word starts to spread that there's this new guy who's, who's just been kicking ass across the tables all day here uh, in the lower levels. Yeah, I think maybe there's like five or six matches or something like in pretty quick succession where they're like half the time of like a normal, you know, skirmish, whatever, like we're just clearing them out. And I think Rhodes is going to like bow out early, you know, and like there might be a crowd and people queued and he's like, it's been fun. Thank you a lot. Uh, and I think, I don't know, is there like anyone working taking notice? Yep, yeah. absolutely. I think if there's like a pit boss, so I don't know what they look like or what the like distinction is, but I think parting like wink or something or like wink and a nod and then Rhodes, I think, like turns on a heel and, and like heads out the door as quietly as he came in. So, yeah, I think with everything you've done at the, the saloon so far, that's going to be an extra dice uh, towards this engagement role, which like we're talking about is like a social engagement role where... You're going to use your connections with Book Sirax to get yourself invited as a player in this uh, this Diadem Royale roads, right? Yeah, I guess so. Do we need to have a scene with books, or are we okay to just roll on that? You know, whatever. Maybe it's like we send a message to books and say, hey, it's been a while, we're looking for this, and then we can do the engagement roll and then open up. Yeah, I think I think that is like a, a good sequence. I think it's nice. Yeah, let's get him on screen because we haven't seen this guy before. If we're going to use him as a um, a contact, 
So I guess, yeah, did, my question then, is there any gathering information that you guys want to do before you have that chat with him and we move into the engagement role? You know, is there like any more scoping out of the casino that you want to do? Any other people that you want to like talk to or anything like that before we move that way? No, I mean, just to see uh, if there's any type, like if we can get a vague idea of what the guard situation is. Like, are we seeing... Guards on each of the elevators. Do we count ten going up every night? Like, do you know? Just trying to get an idea of, without having to go up or try to sneak in, to have an idea of what might be going on at the lily pad, at that level. I think you could try and do that. Yeah, yeah. How how is uh, how's Carter doing that? I think it's kind of going in, and you find a, I don't know what their equivalent of penny slots is, but like you know. You go in with 10 bucks, wait for someone to bring around a drink, and you just kind of play the lowest denominator for the next couple hours or, you know, see what kind of, you know, what kind of calls they're making to each other. Uh, Is there some sort of, you know, timetable of switching of guards? Uh, When do large amounts of cash go in and out? That kind of thing. Just classic heist kind of thing where it's like, just so we get a better idea of timing of how things are going on. One thing I'll say, I don't think there are slot machines here. Uh, I think it's like all table games. But yeah, yeah. Uh, what what uh, ability do you want to use to do that with what, what pilot action? So I guess for this would probably be, um, you know, survey. Yeah, just seeing if there's anything that stands out. Uh, as always, uh, looking to see if there's some dumbass who seems to be clowning around that could be taken advantage of. Taking notes for things yeah, that yeah. Going um, yeah. Why don't you give us a, a survey roll and then we can see like what what Carter is able to figure out. That's a three and a one. So that is that is still limited information. Yeah. Um, and so maybe this is just tied back into the fact that you're not able to get up to that second floor because you don't have the VIP access. You guys have not you haven't broken through that yet. So you're limited to like what you can see from the outside and the ground floor. You can't get up. To uh, and what I will give you with limited information on this public floor, you know, there are guards. Not even like guards, right? It's like there's security. I think guards is like too harsh of a word. You know, I think that they are. For the most part, unarmed. I think on the outside, uh, similarly, mostly unarmed. I think that there is usually like maybe like one or two guys on the outside who have, you know, you can tell ocular pat down. Oh, these guys have like small, uh, you know, small arms, like pistols or something tucked away, right? But they are relatively, uh, yeah, like not not heavily armed. However, I do think once an hour, you know, there's kind of like uh, these elevators and then. Uh, I think coming out of them, like once an hour, uh, you know, a cart runs through. And this is accompanied by, like, guards who are carrying weapons. Like, you know, like uh, like assault weapons uh, and who are wearing, you know, I think they're still wearing, like, you know, kind of suits or, like, classier clothing. But you can tell that there is body armor underneath that clothing. And it is these carts that hit, like, the major tables and that are, like, collecting cash, Right. And there is, you know, I think a set of elevators that are for the the VIPs who are going up to the Lilypad Lounge. There is a, a couple of like these big, bigger elevators, these kind of almost cargo elevators. And almost always, you know, after these carts load up with cash, they go down. There is like a subfloor here, right? There is an underneath. 
that is happening, you know, yeah, like once an hour, there's like a kind of a, a collection uh, of earnings for the hour. Uh, other things on the limited, just like the stuff that's easy to see, there are, there's a camera array, right? There are cameras all over this place. Um, you know, it's being monitored and filmed. Uh, so anything you do out in the open runs the risk of being seen by someone somewhere in this building who is, who is watching that footage, assuming there is one. And like, I think the other major thing that on this like limited information that you're able to see, and this is coming in and out on the outside, right? Maybe when you're coming or when you're leaving sometime and you just catch it for a second. But I think that kind of standing, uh, maybe it's standing, it's, it's like kind of perched on like the edge of a roof. There's kind of like a flicker in the air, kind of this weird shimmer. And you probably wouldn't recognize it except for the fact you work with Desmond, and you've seen this a few times. Uh, there is a machine, uh, what looks like an armor, or like kind of the vague shape of an armor, uh, on the roof of the building that is using a cloaking technology uh, similar to Desmond's. Mm. That is is keeping it invisible uh, from like from like human eye. Uh, so there is like kind of a security apparatus above what you can see visibly. There is an armor on site protecting this building. Um, which maybe will impact plans uh, via escape. Maybe not, you know, depending on how smooth your getaway is. But limited information, I think, you know, spending time there for a day or two, that's what Card is able to kind of assess. Man, I'm glad you rolled that to gather information. That's pretty critical. <laughs> so yeah, Dez, is there anything that you want to do or grab before we talk to Book Serac and kind of um, set up this, this uh, engagement role? Well, if we're if I'm not gonna try and get an invitation through my other contact, I don't really think there's anything I need to pre- prepare for specifically. Yeah, I think you could, you know, uh, just you know, to keep in mind too, is like the flashback thing that we that the game like you could always flash back to getting exactly. Yeah, if that's gonna be the the thing that it seems like you should do or need to do, but I would maybe yeah, save that until. The time arrives uh, mm-hmm. because depending on how well or poorly your engagement role goes, maybe it won't end up being necessary. I think that's something we can talk about as we launch into the mission. Uh, in that case, uh, let's bring you all to Books Books Serac. Where is he? You know what? He's probably in the Shade District. Also, I think that would make sense for him. But I think that you know he's he's not close to the uh, Lost Crown. I think that you find yourself kind of like winding down this like long, narrow alleyway that has like a lot of twists and turns into it, right? Um, you know, in this way that like, you know where you're going, but it's hard to not feel a little lost anyways, because you ha- really have to like, you know, there's like alleyways that connect to alleyways. And that is the only way to eventually find yourself outside of this kind of squat, unassuming little brown building um, that I think has like a kind of like a faded uh, ne- like neon sign out front or it's like, like a kind of like an array of them right that is like for sale parts toys never never used yeah <laughs> for, for sale parts are for sale like parts toys like uh, you know misc like misc uh, you know just like a listing of things that are for sale here and uh, at the bottom of all of that uh, you know in neon as well is books and I think it is, like, the kind of place where, like, there are a few, like, carts or tables out front that are just piled with, like, junk. 
Um, you know, some of it is like technical parts, and it's also just like plates. It is cutlery. It is uh, like little uh, trinkets and things like that. And you know, I think the you move through the door, a little bell rings, and you are faced with uh, just like a maze of detritus. You know, there are like antiques, there are paintings, there are just piles and stacks of like, here's 80 copies of like the the uh, Coronatus Monthly, right? Uh, you know, there's a, a counter at the far back of this place, but yeah, it is like every direction you go, it is like you've almost entered a strange recreation of the alleys that you've been moving through for like, you know, say the last 20 minutes walking to this shop. Uh, there's just stuff everywhere you know cables strewn all over um there's also noise there are like wind chimes in here i think there's like the little clicking of like oh here's a wall of clocks that are all all the wrong time and are all taking like out of sync with each other and after this bell goes off you know i think you hear like a almost like a crash and a rumble and then you can hear someone moving through all of this junk before you see anyone uh and then i think you know out from uh, behind, you know, one of these piles of junks uh, comes a short, squat little man who has this mottled green and blue skin, uh, and he has like kind of the face and shape of of like a frog. This is uh, this is Buxarak. He's like a Vadyanoi. He's like a little frog man. Uh, I think he's probably like four feet tall. He's like probably like close to Desmond's height, but I think he's even like a little shorter than Desmond is. And, you know, I think even without seeing you, he steps out. I think he's just wearing like a, like a little tinkerer's apron. Uh, and he steps out and says, Gentlemen, welcome to Booksarak's store of antiquities and items. How may I help you? Uh, and he stops. Ah, boys. Hello. Didn't expect to see you. How are things at the scrapyard? Books. I think you're fatter than the last time we saw you. You have a sharp look at Rhodes. I'm imagining him to be like a toad man, like inflated. I didn't, I'm not to be like fat. Oh, yes, yeah, no, he is a little like toad man. Up, you know? uh, but it's rude to point it out. Yeah, uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah what the fuck, dude? It's rude as hell. Uh, yeah, I think he asked you, is there something I can interest you in? Are you looking for, for parts today? Something, something you couldn't find in the scrapyard? Always happy to help. But I hope I've not... Things are good at the scrapyard, yes. Nothing nothing untoward. Oh, we're very comfortable there. Excellent, excellent. Come in, come in. Tea. Tea for you? For me, please. Yeah, I'll I'll have some too. And he, you know, like leads you in. I think there's like a, you know, a curtained off area at the back of this place. And there is uh it looks just the same at the back as it does in the front, right? Stuff piled everywhere. I think he you know, there's some armchairs here that are like overstuffed, kind of like uh torn up spilling out. He sweeps a pile of, like, wrenches off one, puts down, like, a little wooden stool next to the other, and tries to, like, you know, eventually there are three surfaces that the, you guys can sit on. And so what what can I do for my three, my three favorite... What would you call you? Uh, Terrorists. <laughs> yeah, my three favorite uh, freedom advocates. <laughs> Free thinkers. Um, Free thinkers. My three favorite three thinkers. My, there is something... My little heroes. Something we... You're quite popular these days, you know. And he, he you know, points like a webbed finger at, at Rhodes. And I think, you know, starts rummaging around again and pulls out like a, you know, uh, realizes he's been using one of those like risograft zines we saw with the redshift on earlier. It's been used as a coaster for the tea he was drinking before. He had a big circle on it and he flaps it. Uh, 
We don't usually have celebrities in my shop. Please. You'll make me blush. Uh, he, he chortles at that. Obviously, synths can't blush, I guess. Is the, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, there's something we have come for. We're hoping you might broker an introduction. Uh, I know I know many people in the great city of Coronanus. Been doing business here for most of my life. Happily, I would introduce you to, to anyone. I hope you mean that in the next ten minutes of talking. <laughs> have you, say, crossed paths with one Rebus Actual? The tenor, like his entire body language changes a little bit. He puts down like the, you know, he's, I think he's, he, he's been bustling around, like brewing like a thing of tea on this kind of like junked together makeshift like little, uh, like boiler. And he, he stops, turns around. What do you want with Rebus Actual? An audience, I should hope. I'm seeking for an invitation to open contest. And we want to go too. <laughs> For us as well, thank you. <laughs> Three tickets. Uh, you you want to enter the contest? Yes. We, you know, you're asking an awful lot of questions for a fixer. Can you do it or can't you? I, um, and I think he, you know, he says, I would happily arrange an introduction for you with the esteemed Rebus Actual. But in doing so, I should, of course, presume that you would understand that in my arranging the introduction with one such as Rebus Actual, that you would be in a way, as I have facilitated the introduction, be representing my own personage and interests. And so, of course, in so giving you an introduction, I could be assured that you would not cause any kind of disruption to the relationship already extant between myself and one Rebus Actual. Well, we're not asking you to come. But of course... Such wise, free thinkers would understand that just the mere act of introducing is in a way association. Books, my friend. Do you mean to tell me you're not interested in making a bit of cash? Uh, and I think, you know, uh, attitude again changes and he leans in a little bit forward. Which is not to say that I would not be happy to make <laughs> such an introduction. Uh, knowing, of course, such kind beneficiaries of my own uh, social lubrication would... Behave admirably as they always do. And as such, you're of course welcome to join. A mutual friend of ours passed along the word that a high-stakes game's happening at the Lost Crown in the week ahead. Some of our same mutual contacts are, shall we say, eager to accrue some winnings. Um, And, you know, we boast a bit of talent on our side, so hoping you can make us an intro so we can both benefit. Books looks from you, Rhodes, to the... Oh, it's unintentional. Right, there's like a, a perfect ring stain on the, the risograph zine over the redshift, right? Uh, from like where he's been setting his mug as a coaster on it. Uh, and he asks, you know, and would it be yourself, good friend, who would be competing in this foray, of course, we're talking about, right? Of course. The, the grand game. Only for sport. And yes, who better? You know, they're playing a lot of the simulations of some of our recent... Uh, we were we had a first-hand seat in Ferenc Bluff, of course, just passing through, but... Be interesting to see others play it out. And you plan on playing the full game? I plan to win, if that's what you mean. I can arrange this. Uh, I think books will do this, right? Uh, there's an opportunity for money to be made here. Um, there's like a caveat here too, I think, which is that if you really fuck this up, this will affect your relationship with this fixer um, because he is putting his own reputation on the line in a way by getting you the invitation in the first place. So let's talk about an engagement role. Yeah. So yeah, just like always, we're going to answer like a handful of questions here that are going to tell us... How many dice you were rolling on this engagement roll? And based on that result, 
that is going to decide what position you guys start this mission in, whether things are going off swimmingly when they start or whether you start off in a desperate position from the get-go. Uh, so the first question I ask, is the mission bold? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're you're publicly announcing your presence uh, in a, like, place where plenty of people would love to see you dead. Um, you're walking right in and showing your faces, for sure. Yeah. Um, so you start off with one dice for plain luck. You'll take another one because the mission is bold. So you have two, just two right now. Is the mission especially complex? Yeah, we have yeah. to think so. a lot of things yeah. kind of just hopefully yeah. line up. Uh, so that is minus one dice. So that puts you back to one dice. Uh, does the mission exploit the target's vulnerabilities? Yeah, I suppose in the sense of exploiting vice. Yeah, I think so, for sure. Uh, yeah, so take plus one dice. Uh, so you're at two again. Is the mission's tactic ineffective against the target? I would say no. Doing something to draw him in, I think that makes a lot of sense. You're still at two dice. Is the squad receiving external support for the mission? Yeah, we are now. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, we. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely. You just you just talked to books. You are you have his support. Uh, take plus one dice. Is anyone interfering with the mission other than the target? Not that we know of. Um, so I'll say keep that dice. So you're at three dice. Plus the one to engagement from. Yes. Yeah, are there any other factors affecting the mission? Take plus one for each one that benefits the squad and minus one if it hinders them. Uh, and I would say, yeah, the difference here for sure is you you set up this already by going there and playing and kind of building a reputation. Uh, so I would say take one more. That puts you at, at four dice here. Four? Four dice. Okay. Shall I? I think so. Okay, 46. Two sixes, a one and a two. Hey. Hell yeah. Sick. Uh, so that would be, if this was a normal roll, there would be a critical success. Um, there are no critical successes on engagement rolls, um, but that is a full success. You will start the mission in a controlled position. Things will be going your way. Uh, and I think on a success, you you slide past whatever the first obstacle would be. You will be a, kind of a step further right when we jump into the mission. And so I think... Uh, we can kind of leave it there uh, with with books arranging uh, your invitation to the the Diadem Royale. You know, maybe we close on an image of uh, a street corner near the Lost Crown, right? Or we you know it's outside the Lost Crown, right? And someone is wheat pasting up like flyers uh, to announce the the upcoming exhibition match, because and they're flyering over the old poster that just had five faces on it. Uh, and we see they're flying over now with like a new poster that has the face of six combatants on it. Um, and so when we resume, uh, we will join as the, the squad comes to the Lost Crown Saloon uh, and Rhodes enters as a combatant in the, the Diadem Royale to make cover for your attempts to steal uh, Sellers Montag's personal network device and recover the information contained on it. And we'll see you next time on Risky Stick. <laughs>